So hello and welcome to the UX Wizards podcast. My name is Morgan Trueblood, and today I'm here with Errol Fox, a human rights center designer and open source designer working across multiple projects. So welcome, Errol. Um, would you maybe tell us a little bit about your background and where you're from and what, what you're working on? Yeah, sure. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to talk about something that I'm very passionate about, but also all the other things that I'm passionate about. And one of which is open source. Um, so I am currently actually finishing out a really interesting project that is to do with open source and human rights from a food systems and food sustainability point of view. So I just finished out a contract as the lead designer at the Open Food Network. And that was really great to be actually one of the first designers working internally on that open source project. They they started 10, 10 years ago in the uh, food system space with a open source e-commerce software. And I really came into to embed design within their practices, do strategical stuff as well as um, the day-to-day UI prototyping, UX, research, all the different things that designers get involved in. But my background, interesting, so that's what I've been up to right now. I, I do numerous other things alongside um, my, my freelance and contract positions at open source organizations. I do a lot of community building at the opensourcedesign.net community. I'm part of Sustain Design and UX within open source software. I do stuff with OpenIDO London, with Tech for Good, and a lot of other different kinds of projects. But I didn't uh, start out as a designer. Actually, my training is fine arts training, if you if you can believe it. Um, so over 10 years ago, I did a fine art degree. I was a kind of digital fine artist, if, if that is kind of a thing that is popularized now. At the time, we, we called it time-based artist. So essentially, our medium was time, which was interesting. So we had a lot of people working on films, music, installations, performance art, and lots of different things like that. And I just really loved technology growing up. Like I was fascinated by computers, really amazed by the really old iMacs that were in my art department at school. And yeah, I I did this art degree and then uh, transitioned into doing design in a quite an interesting kind of laborious. It took a it took a while to really upskill myself as a designer um, in into into the field. But um, I'm from the UK, uh, so I'm from the southwest of the UK in Bristol. Um, but I do a lot of traveling, so I've worked for a lot of organisations that are kind of all around the world. Um, yeah, done a, done a lot of different kinds of work in a lot of different kinds of places. But my heart is in Bristol. But if you want, I can I can talk a little bit about how I moved into the design realm. If if you if you want to hear about that, yeah, I love to I love to learn more about some of this uh, time based art that you did. Did you actually <laughs> build installations and uh, render out graphics? Yeah. So the time based department in Cardiff, one of the Cardiff universities uh, that I studied at was one of the only departments that had reliable working uh, G5 Max. So this is aging me a little bit, Um, but they were the Max that you could create video art on and sound art and different kinds of installation pieces. But I was really I was really interested in a kind of artwork which is a little bit more performance based but technology enabled. So I used to I used to make a lot of um a lot of performances and I would kind of 
capture them on film and video. I would do something which is um, called endurance performance art. So these these are kind of pieces of performance art which are over really, really long periods of time. And I was really interested in how resilient humans and the human body can be in certain circumstances. Um, but in my final year of um, university, many, many years ago now, to 2007, feels like a whole lifetime ago, um, I was really interested in very early webcam technology and how that was being used online. And I used that as the medium for a lot of my performance art and engaging with people online and having kind of online conversations and relationships, which is something that we're really used to now. But back then, it was actually kind of new. It wasn't something that was really explored very often. So like I said, as I was growing up, I had this fascination with technology. I was um, encouraged to interact with computers from a very early age, but I was very artistic as well. So I, it kind of didn't appeal to me to become like a programmer, if you know what I mean. It didn't really, like I tried it and it just didn't fit. And then when I started to really pick up like the t- the software like Photoshop and when I started to pick up like video editing tools and I started to be able to use technology as another tool for artistic expression was really where I was like, oh, you know, I love using these tools as well as I love expressing myself through artistic means. I love the tools which enable this as well. And that's um, that really gave me a, a, good, a good grounding to, to move into design and to kind of get where I am at the moment. It kind of all ties in because one of the big reasons that I was able to pursue design as a career, not having like a formal education or a degree in design back then, was through a lot of community work. So I, through through some of this um, art that I'd been doing, through the, the kind of skills that I'd gained in being able to interface with people and interrogating social relationships, uh, but also having those skills in, you know, using computer and software and stuff like that. I, I was getting involved with um, community projects and, and different kinds of things going on in my community. And that was actually my first ever design client was the community project that I did lots of volunteering for. So I ended up sort of really moving into design through a, I have built these skills as an artist and I have refined them through kind of activism and human rights work from a community development level. Um, My first ever design project that I got paid to do was a combination of installation artwork on pavements using chalks and a digital map that I created of the area in consultation with the with the local area and it is still actually physically that map that I designed that I got paid to do my first ever design project is is still up on the wall of a community church back in my old city which I think is lovely wow wow yeah. <laughs> so it was actual like chalk art that you could find utilizing this map. So the map ended up being printed. Uh, so it's a digital. It was a digital map that I created a very um, old-fashioned website for. So we're talking really vanilla HTML and CSS back then. So I did a number of different pieces for this um, first ever design project that I did. I did lots of consultation. So 
But back then we called it consultation because that was the way that we understood it. But really it was design research. It was user design research, talking to the community, seeing what they want represented on this map and how they want it represented in the way that feels authentic to them. It got printed um, on lovely recycled paper because it was partly an environmental project. And each household in the local area, about 3,000 odd homes, got a copy of this map to keep. And it got printed on this um, graffiti proof, uh, which is interesting, graffiti proof aluminium. I'm kind of pro graffiti though. So, you know, I would have quite been quite interested to see whether people would have graffitied it. But anyway, um, yeah, printed up on this aluminium on the uh, outside of the community center and park church. So, uh, but the chalk work was um, some of the kind of activities that we did with the community so that they could understand the symbols that were being used in the map and um, some of the some of the different kinds of interact it was it was to further the interaction with the the users the community um, so it was a lovely little sort of piece of installation work alongside it so it really scratched a lot of my itches it got me doing design it got me a really great portfolio piece it really helped me engage with my community and it it, it kind of was artistically expressive as well Wow, so that's kind of like checks all the boxes. That sounds like a great project. So mm. tell me about um, when did you first start seeing yourself as a UX designer? Ah, yeah, interesting. So I, after I started getting a few freelance projects to really build up my portfolio after university, I did a couple of internships and I was lucky enough at the time that internships were funded by the Welsh government because at the time I was living in Wales in, in the UK. And uh, my first uh, big internship was with a .com, with a .com website that was an insurance website. And the first time that I really started to do UX was actually not not the time when we were calling it UX. Like UX was re- is really a term that I think is quite recent. So this was back in 2010, 2011, when me and the other team of designers that worked at this.com, we were starting to have, like, have conversations that now I would say, oh, those were user experience focused projects and conversations we were having. But at the time, we just didn't have this knowledge. But we were just you know, having these kinds of conversations about you know, how can we really learn more about the the people that are going to be using this website? Or what do we know about the people um, that need to be here and what information do they need to gain and what questions do they have and we were kind of having those kinds of conversations like i said now we know as like a ux process but at the time it was really quite new to practice and it felt really exciting um and really i only started calling myself a ux designer when i started to then apply for jobs after that um position and I started to see the word UX being used in the industry more and more. And I didn't really, I didn't really know um, at first how to match my experience with this new, this term like UX that was being used. And eventually it just made a lot of sense to me that the kinds of things that I was explaining were, again, UX processes. So I was kind of like, well, I guess I'm a UX designer then. So, you know, I've been doing all this thing, all these things for many, many years, but and now there's a word that I can associate it with. Great. Fantastic. So, yeah, I would say, like, I started doing UX back in 20, 2011, um, but really only had the label maybe towards 2013, 2014. So to uh, kind of switch gears a little bit, could you tell me a little bit about um, your involvement with 
open source? And how does that concept kind of relate to design and to, to human rights center design? Yeah, sure. So how I got involved in open source is really interesting, actually. So I had heard about open source when I was working with developer teams, like really early on, but I was sat next to developer teams working on designs and they would talk about these things like, oh, this framework or, you know, this library or this something. And every so often I would hear the word open source. And because I'm a curious person, as most designers tend to be quite curious people, I would ask them, I would say, what well, what is this thing open source? And I got you know, the explanation of what open source is from a, from a developer point of view. And I said, oh, that, that sounds like a really great thing for you, developers. Kind of drew a line under underneath it, kind of just assumed it was a developer thing. And it was something that, you know, was, was all about that side of building uh, technology and building software. But when I left the parental tech company, uh, because I had this real need to serve um, with my design work, a more human rights focus or a more hu- humanitarian focus, the organization that I ended up going to work for is an organization called Ushahidi. And Ushahidi is an amazing organization which has been going for 10 years, based out of Kenya, and now run by a, a fantastic Kenyan woman called Angie Odor Lungati. She is fantastic. She's inspirational. Um, Her team is amazing as well. And I joined that team uh, to work on their software. And their software was open source software that was originally created because uh, back in, I think, 2007? Yeah, 2007, 2008 was when um, Kenya was having the first democratic elections uh, of of their time. And the founders were noticing lots of human rights abuses were happening. So people were being stopped going to the polls. There was lots of violence. There was lots of pressure. There was lots of stuff going on in Kenya. And they created this software so that citizens could report, essentially, human rights abuses around the voting process in Kenya. And it was so, it was revolutionary. It it allowed citizens of a country to really speak the truth to to a not only their own country, but the wider world stage. So there was this attention on Kenya, really the impression that Kenya was putting out it almost in like the controlled media, but then what the citizens were saying. And it was beautiful. And I, I ended up going and working for them a few years ago and started to learn about open source um, a little bit more since it's open source. Um, so I had this vague understanding of what open source was. I was for developers, but now I was a designer working in a human rights space on a Kenyan tech company as um, in a te- Kenyan tech organization because they're an NGO uh, on their open source software. And so I started to learn a little bit more about what open source software really was and kind of that it wasn't just about developers, <laughs> developers creating really, really intense and complicated tech tools. It was lots of other things. And actually, the one of the things that still amazes me when I remind myself of it is that a lot of services, a lot of websites, a lot of technology is actually built upon open source and open source is like the foundations of a lot of the web and the open web specifically. So open source, I believe, this is this is a statement that I believe really strongly, not, not everyone would agree with me, but I feel like open source by its very nature is um, 
humanitarian or human rights focus because it's about openness, it's about sharing, it's about the commons, it's about um, being able to replicate, being able to participate, and it's about community. So as much as it is about building useful, amazing software, it's about everything that goes into building useful, amazing software, which is about the humans that build it. But yeah, I was working on the uh, open source software for Ushahidi, and I really started to, alongside a colleague that I was working with, Justin Shearer, who's an amazing designer, um, working at an organization called Hover at the moment. Um, I started to have conversations with Justin about why we weren't seeing contributions from designers. So open source software is often sort of maintained by the people that have maybe created it or a group of people that have created it, but they open source software often relies on contributions. So volunteer contributions or sometimes paid contributions by people to improve things or change things or you know adapt things in lots of different ways. And me and Justin were chatting uh, and we were like, well, you know, that we're, we're designers working on this open source software. I mean, we might be paid right now to be working on it, but why, you know, why is it so hard? And why is it so different when designers want to get involved in open source software? And so that was really when I started to think, huh, you know, there is actually no reason, no good reason <laughs> why designers shouldn't be or couldn't be more involved in open source software and open source in general. So I started to investigate, got really involved with the opensourcedesign.net group. Uh, they run lots of community meetings and just really got invested and really interested in the idea of design, more designers and more different, different kinds of designers being involved in open source. Because open source kind of, open source software kind of has this, this, um, it has this, I want to say problem, but it's not necessarily a problem. It has this, maybe a challenge at the moment is probably the best way of saying it. Open source software has this challenge at the moment of thinking about design in terms of UI and in terms of logos and in terms of visual design. And not that those things aren't important as design, but it really struggles to understand what usability is, what user research is, what user experience is, you know, what all these different kinds of design, strategical design, you know, all, all these different kinds of ways of doing design can improve open source software. So one of the things that I'm really invested in at the moment and really interested in is how we better improve, better grow, better facilitate a open source software space that is welcoming for designers, that is open to all different kinds of designers. And that is a challenge that is from not only the open source software side of things, but also from the design side of things, because these two cultures are quite different. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I, I've noticed that it seems like designers are much more kind of private about their designs. They feel like they have a sense of ownership of it. And I noticed that when I think of like an open source forum for designers, I think of maybe like the Figma community, right? And the, you'll often find really beautiful UI kits, but they're only giving you a sliver of it. It's like in order to have the entire kit, you have to pay for it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So this is kind of where 
this is where the conversation can get a little confrontational, right, for designers. And mm -hmm. but it's good. Com co confrontational conversations, as long as you're still comfortable and as long as you you know you that you are still valued, are important conversations to have, right? So when I say these things, I say them with the the most amount of understanding and compassion that I have being a designer myself. But one of the things that is present in the design culture and the design community is this sense of kind of, and I don't think that this is necessarily something that designers want to keep, but there's this sense of ownership, like I must be able to say that every part of that design that I made, or maybe I collaborated with my teammates on, I can own. And I have to know what happens to that design, right? It's because I think it might be because designers as a profession are so used to, I hate to say this, but so used to clients kind of coming in and changing a lot of what we do or, you know, coming in and kind of trying to bend us and kind of say, oh, you know, can you make make it bigger can you make it this color can you make it this can you can you change it to this i think this you know we are we are sort of receptacles for the client needs um and we take those things and we try and do the best with what we can with that information so i think that designers are quite sensitive to to this idea of very open collaboration and that's what open source is so when i say to designers about getting involved in open source and one of the parts that can feel the most uncomfortable at first is the idea that you can you can find a, a problem to solve with an open source you can create the designs for it you can make sure that that file is open using figma or even using adobe cloud now or even using some of the open source design software that exists like penpot uh, so penpot.app is a purely open source design um uh, tool, uh, kind of like Inkscape and uh, GIMP, but a lot better for prototyping. Um, but you can use those open tools and put it out there and say, here's my open design. Here's my open source design contribution to this open source software. And any at any point in time from then on, any other designer in the world can come along and say, hey, that's really cool, but what if we did this? Or, you know, I'm going to change this or I'm going to edit this. And that's the, like that some of the foundations of open source is the idea that you can, um, I'm using developer language now, but the, the idea that you can fork a, a repository of, of code in open source is so that you can make changes that you think are useful. And the idea of forking something in open source means that you can kind of merge it back in if it's seen to be something that is, you know, universally useful and, and works. But this idea that from designer, the design side of things that you can put something out there and it can change in ways that you might never know is sometimes quite uncomfortable for a lot of designers because there's this, um, I think there's this kind of sense of ownership or sometimes even ego about the things that we create, that we are um, the ultimate owners of that. But when we put it out in the public space and when we make that intentional choice to put it out in the public space, it is like it's owned by other designers as well. So you're co-owning, you know, what you've created. So, so, so it can be quite a, quite a strange space to, to operate in at first. Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah, I really like that idea of uh, kind of almost giving up your ownership is almost like a way of imploding your ego so you can make the best designs <laughs> possible. Well, yeah, I mean, you can think about it in, in slightly different ways as well. Again, when I talk to designers about this, but we are 
we are increasingly as you, as we were saying just before we started recording we are increasingly in a remote culture in a distributed culture in a globalized culture and one of the beautiful things about being able to operate openly as a designer or do open source design is the idea that you you as a designer and let's take me as an example me as a a person who is based in the UK where my culture is very informed by being you know uh, British and being white and being working class and having an identity that is you know described as a non-binary person that is queer all these kinds of things will inform the design that I create right so I'll create this design which is all about the kinds of best ways that I think this design could solve this problem. But when you put it out into that open space and that open source space, a designer from Kenya, a designer from um, Uruguay, a designer from the Southwest region of India, Kerala or Australia or Taiwan or Russia or all these places as well, can come into that space with a different kind of idea and a different kind of cultural perspective and say, this is great what you've done, but to make it work for the kinds of people that would be using it where I am, let's think about it in this different way and let's amend it differently. And it, it doesn't make my contribution less. In fact, it makes the overall contribution better by having all these different diverse perspectives. And that's one of the beautiful things that I cannot wait for other designers to experience, honestly. There's, there's nothing quite so joyful as collaborating openly across borders as as it is with doing design in open source that's awesome i love i love just the idea of that bringing bringing people together globally through design mm -hmm. so i i'm interested so you've talked a little bit about this um what is kind of the social impact of choosing particular software mm, that's a great question yeah and it's a, again, it's a it's a tense question as well because you know. So so here here's my answer again. It, it positions me in a in a very particular way. So, and it doesn't often my my answer to this question um, actually doesn't leave me in the quote unquote good books of you know open source spaces or or design spaces particularly. It's kind of somewhere in the middle because. <laughs> One of the things that I think is really important for um, when we talk about open source software, and my answer to this question is framed by open source software uh, because of the design tools and the design practices that we use. It are mine are very informed now by open openness and open source, but I feel like it's more important that you contribute and that you do that in a form which is both comfortable for you and allows you to create the best kind of work that you want to create. And some people within the openness and the open source space will say, well, you, you can do that, but just with open tools. So there are some people that say open, open design and open source design can only really be done if you're using like the most free and most libre of open source software. So we're talking about the Inkscapes and the GIMPs and the now Penpot. But I still think that there is going to be need for designers, socially, culturally, professionally, to use proprietary 
commercial software. So things like the Adobe suite, things like Figma, things. And actually, I think that a lot of these tools are embracing openness in a lot, a lot of um, healthy ways. Like, so I love Figma Jamboards, I think they're called now. Figma, the Figma collaborative boards that you can create. Fig Jam, yeah. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, that's great. Um, I actually, I use, I use Figma with, um, I've used Figma with my last um, open source software um, job um, because the reason that I used Figma teams and Figma files with my last um, role within an open source software, because I had the option to go fully open source software with this and create designs within open source software, because a lot of the places where you do contributions, um, actually really only accept uh, JPEGs or PNGs or, you know, PDFs and open files in a lot of ways. But I went with Figma because I thought that it was equally as important as being open to invite designers into a space of comfort because this is so new to them. Like a lot of this openness processes, like if I was, if I was going that extra step and introducing a whole new tool to use, um, you know, I just, I couldn't, I couldn't justify the reason for myself to, to enforce that, that you also, these designers also use open source tools as, as well as, you know, entering into this new space. So I actually think that the, the, there is a, so when we talk about social impact of the choices of designer, uh, design tools that we use, there's that kind of aspect, but I so there's there's an aspect around what we support and how we want to support it. So I think that it's important to still operate within a comfort zone, but also investigate these other kinds of tools and things like that. I think that when we get into a space where we start to think about the processes that we use as designers is when we get into kind of even trickier territory. So there is social impact and other kinds of impact inherent in the ways that we operate as designers and the choices that we make in how we do the phases of design. So how, however you however you do design, where you do design, whether you use a double diamond process or whether you use a, um, a more participatory process or a liberatory design process or whether you use, you know, an agile workflow or a waterfall process. There's all these different kinds of ways of doing things. I think that the best thing that you can do to be socially aware and impact aware is to always be thinking, always be thinking about whether you are hearing and seeing and experiencing as the the person that is ultimate the designer when i say person i mean the designer the designer that is ultimately responsible for calibrating that tool right so you designers are in such a such an important position within any kind of creation process because you are the custodians you are the 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 protectors you are the people that ensure that certain perspectives are heard and that justice is done by them so i think that there is even social impact to how we communicate you know within our teams how we what processes we choose to use and and how we choose to include different people within those processes so 
you know, an example being like very a very simple example being who are you including within the the kinds of um, personas and the kinds of audience um, documents that you're creating to better understand what kind of goals you're achieving? Are you including you know very varied kinds of goals and very varied kinds of experiences in in when you're con- thinking about conceptually that that piece of design and when you're doing discovery and how um also how much are you including the wider team as well you know um i you know i spend a lot of time in my roles um as a designer really frustrated because i am trying to get as many people involved in the process across an organization as absolutely possible so that everyone can feel like a really key stakeholder of the thing that they're trying to create. And also, you know, there's diverse perspectives come into that as well. Like naturally by including more people within your organization, within the design process, as painful as it can be sometimes, the better kind of things you you will design. Hmm. That's really interesting. Yeah. That's, yeah. I feel like, yeah. Giving, giving everyone in the team a voice kind of, just improves the culture of that team so much more and it becomes it becomes a team instead of you know a, a ship that one person is maybe bringing into shipwreck mm, it becomes less of a, a production cycle like you know you hand your bit off to this person and then this person does this and then you know when it doesn't quite go right at the end of the production line everyone's like well this person didn't do this bit right or this person didn't do this bit right when you're all centered around and involved in that process a lot more um holistically a lot more inclusively again you improve the culture but you also just improve that accountability as well so and so um so a lot of our listeners are kind of beginning their career and um how how can they kind of get involved with open source design on kind of like a on a more starting level yeah yeah getting involved in open source design is a trip it's super super fun it's i do a lot of mentoring actually one of the things that i've been doing a lot more of uh since becoming a a bit more sort of What's the word? I guess mature within the open source space is I like to be able to be there as a resource alongside the open source design.net team and the community that exists there is uh, we like to be able to mentor designers and, and be like a point of comfort and contact when they um, have different challenges within open source. But I would say the best way to get involved uh, first and actually the most I think the most healthy way to get involved in open source as a designer at first is to build your community of designers up around you first. So I, I know this sounds very biased because I'm part of the open source design.net group um, and the community there. But I think that when I've observed different designers trying to get involved or heard from designers get trying to get involved in open source before they have that community of designers that can um, that can support them, they often have come up against these challenges in open source that a lot of uh, a lot of us experience. They're kind of uh, challenges that always present themselves uh, within open source, such as Sometimes it's just about learning the tools of communication. Sometimes it's just about the culture of open source. Some of of it's about the speed or the expectations of open source. Some of it's about the tension between the whole 
spectrum of design and open source. So the best thing that you can do is, is find those peers, find that support network, find the people that are interested in that as well. And that can be people that are part of open source design already, um, or it can be people that, that share your interest and love. So you can like gather this group together of, of um, that people are at the same level that don't know much about it or only know a bit about it and you can act as peers within yourself. Because I think one of the most challenging things as designers within open source is that we often, we often are the only designer contributing to an open source project. Or we, even if we're not and there are other, are other designers, it can feel quite lonely. It can feel like this team of one, uh, essentially. And I have seen much better success when you are able to go in as a group of designers to be able to help each other. So you can have those, those tricky conversations about design practices a lot easier when you have somebody to back you up. But also having a, an open source project that you are interested in um, already, chances are you are already using some kind of open source already that you're interested in. A lot of people might not know that a lot of Pablo Stanley's um, illustrative assets on the Blush website and undraw.io are technically open source design projects because they're open open design repositories of open open design resources and assets. Um, so yeah, there's loads of open source that you're probably already using that you, you don't even really know much, know that you're using. So um, you can kind of do a quick search online and say, hey, you know, what are, what are some common open source uh, softwares and common open source tools? And you can be like, ah, oh, okay, cool. I've used that before. You know, maybe OBS or Audacity or Mozilla, um, the Firefox browser, lo loads of different stuff you'll, you'll end up discovering is um, to do with open source. When we talk about open source and we talk about design, I love the idea that it's not the, <laughs> it's never going to be like the key like main part of your identity, if you know what I mean, like, or if, you know, there are always things, there are loads of different things that you can be involved in. And open source kind of tends to have a bit of a, a bad reputation sometimes for being all consuming. So it's actually a really good balance to say that, hey, open source is interesting. Open source is really engaging, but also there are lots of other things in life as a designer to be, <laughs> to, to, to get involved in. Yeah. So we hope you enjoyed the first part of our interview with Errol Fox. Stay tuned for part two, coming soon.